Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and today we're starting a series on spiritual warfare. Uh, in Billy Graham's book on angels, he tells a very interesting story um, that happened to a man named Reverend, he was a Reverend John G. Patton. He was a pioneer missionary in some on the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific, and um, he and his wife had gone there to tell people about Jesus. Well, um, in his book, Billy Graham relates this, that um, one night, uh, hostile natives surrounded Reverend Patton's mission headquarters, intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them. And John Patton and his wife prayed all during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. And when daylight came, they were amazed to see that unaccountably their attackers had just left. And they thanked God for delivering them, but they had no idea why. A year later, the chief of that tribe was converted to Jesus Christ, and Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down their house and killing them. And the chief replied in surprise, well, who were all those men you had with you there? And the missionary answered, there were no men, it was just my wife and I. Well, the chief argued that they had seen many men standing around, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They seemed to circle the mission station so the natives were afraid to attack. And only then did Mr. Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect them. And the chief agreed there was no other explanation. And they'd been rescued from an attack by angels. Spiritual warfare. Now, I mean, you know, this is by that guy, Billy Graham. I mean, if you can trust him. Um, well, and, and I do. And I do. Okay. Just, you know, yeah. Headline, John Schmidt says Billy Graham's a liar. No, I am not. I do not. Don't, don't say that. I would tell you I believe every word of that. But I would tell you that we're all involved in a spiritual, war, a spiritual battle, involved in spiritual warfare. It may not look like that, but it takes many forms. And over this series, we're going to talk about how the devil is trying to get us to do things that God never intended us to do and how he is warring with our souls and how angels protect us, and how you and I can cooperate with God's plan through all this. Today, we're going to talk about some very important understandings of this, and I'm going to pray that God's going to lead us to a better understanding of his word and a better understanding of who we are and how to fight spiritual battles successfully. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to pray to you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your protection upon us. Lord, I thank you for stories like this of Reverend Patton, Lord, of somebody who prayed and trusted you and you protected him. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that um, you'd protect us, you'd watch over us. And today I pray that you'd open our minds to some things that we need to be doing so we can cooperate with you. I pray that you'll speak, Lord, move me out of the way, prepare us for spiritual battle. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Hey, if you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand. Our ushers will bring one to you. You're going to want to take some notes on this. Um, inside your bulletin is where the outlines are, by the way. I should have mentioned that. Um, we're all involved in a spiritual war. All of us are. It's happening all around us. Stories like I just read kind of highlight it, but uh, those are the exception rather than the rule. In fact, the way Paul explained it was this. This is from Ephesians 10. I mean, Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. 
We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of, this unseen, of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And the Bible speaks about a spiritual battle going all on all around us that most of the times we're completely unaware of. We feel the effects of it, but we can't see things with human eyes. This isn't anything new. In the Old Testament, during the days of the prophet Elisha, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel was at war with the nation of Aram. And the Arameans had surrounded the city where the prophet Elisha and his servant were. And we're jumping into the story here where there's a uh, looks like there's a, an ambush about to take place. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. I mean, it's one of those things, again, like the story we read from Billy Graham's book. All of a sudden we realize, hey, there's a whole battle going on here. I didn't know any of this was even happening. I mean, we, we go through our world and we make mistakes and suffer consequences. We live in a fallen world and there are bad things that happen. But there's more than that. There's more than that. The Bible tells us, yeah, there's, there's more going on than that, too. There is a spiritual battle happening. And the question that comes into our minds is, well, if we can't see the enemy, how do we fight him? Well, that's the life application here. You and I need to use God's methods and God's weapons to win spiritual battles. If we're involved in a spiritual battle with enemies we can't see, well, then we're going to have to trust the Lord to guide us in how to fight these battles so we can win. And so all through this series, we're going to be talking about different strategies and tactics the devil uses and giving, us, giving ourselves lots of life applications so that we can fight back and we can protect ourselves. We are human, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 10 here, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. And Paul says, you don't fight spiritual battles with guns and tanks and bombs. You fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. You know, when we were reading about Reverend Patton here, his part was to pray. The battle was won by the Lord. And Reverend Patton didn't even realize that the angelic warriors were sent until a year later. I believe that's going to be that way when we get to heaven one day. We're going to realize we went through some hard things and God's going to show us, he's going to pull back the curtain and go, my child, I was protecting you all along. You didn't even see it. But today, we're going to start when we're talking about fighting spiritual warfare. Well, who are our enemies? I mean, when I played basketball in high school and in college, we would always know who the other team was and what their strengths were. I mean, that's what you want to do before you go into a contest of I've never been in an actual warfare situation, but I've been in sporting competitions and other things. You want to know who your adversary is. What are their strengths? What are their tactics? And it's always real important to know if you want to win. Well, today we're going to talk about three enemies of our souls 
And that's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're going to start with the devil first. And that's point B. You and I need to know our adversaries. We're going to have uh, talk about spiritual warfare. We need to know, well, who are we fighting against? And what are we up against here? Well, first of all, the devil. His proper name is Satan. And that literally means, his name literally means the adversary or the devil. I mean, the enemy. The adversary or the enemy. That's what Satan means. So... We're up against a person who's against us. He was the highest of all of God's angels. He rebelled against God and tried to set his throne above God's throne in heaven. And he was cast out. And uh, he had a number of angels that joined with him. These are other fallen angels that we would call demons. And he is a, a commander over them. And we'll be talking about that in the weeks to come too. This is an organized effort to... Uh, attack and destroy anything that God values. Well, the chief of all of God's creation is us. And the devil, Jesus said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's why when we talk about things in our world, I mean, there are spiritual forces arrayed against us to spiritually terrorize us, to discourage us, defeat us, trip us up with temptations to sin, to confuse us, bewilder us, to keep people from believing, to lead people into false truth. And we're going to unpack all this over the weeks to come here and how to tackle each one of those. But today, you just need to know this is happening. Because there are times when you sit there and, uh, and you've even been around things where people have made it crystal clear to a family member or a friend, hey, this needs to change in your life. And they've given them clear teaching from Scripture. They've prayed for them and all these things. And the person walks out going, yeah, I don't know what that was about. There may have been a time in your own life like that. And later on when you came to Christ, it was like you're going, what was that? It was like I was blind. I couldn't see anything. And you'll see that this is one of the tactics of the devil to blind the minds of our unbelieving world and to harass and attack and confuse us. Because if he can't keep us from becoming a believer, once we're a believer, he wants to keep you and me confused and defeated and discouraged. I mean, it's been it was such an interesting thing. Um, oh, by the way, the, that's point A here. I, I want to fill in the blank so that I don't get angry emails from you. <laughs> okay. um, the devil is very real and out to destroy us. The story that Billy Graham shared, it's real. Devil's real. Angels are real. Peter talked about the devil as a real being. Jesus talked about the devil as a real being. Um, Peter said this, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's not just real, he's ferocious. I mean, if I knew there was a roaring lion prowling around my house, I'm not walking out in bedroom slippers. Okay, I'm taking precautions. I'm going to figure out how to defeat this lion so he doesn't attack me or my family. Well, we need to take much more precaution about the evil one, about the devil. And point B, the devil is a liar and the master of deception. Jesus said the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character for he's a liar and the father of lies. It's his native tongue. He's a liar. In fact, before you flip the page over, if you just open your outline up, open it flat, if you go right across the page, there's a big paragraph there. I've just quoted the first few verses of um, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God by Martin Luther. 
At the end of that paragraph, the last line there, the last two lines say, The prince of darkness grim, speaking about the devil here, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And some of you, if you grew up in church, you've been singing this forever, and you might not even know what the little word is. Martin Luther was once asked about this later in his life, well, what's the little word? And Martin Luther said, well, it's obvious. It's liar. When the, li- when the devil comes at you with these temptations and he comes to tell you the word of God isn't true and he comes to tell you that you can have all these things that you're not supposed to have, comes to tell you you are worthless and not forgiven and God can't use you, you just remind him he's a liar. There's no truth in him. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, though, and that's why we have so much trouble doing that. Now, the good news is God is true. Satan is the liar. But we're related to God, and he's given us his word, and we can know the truth, and the truth will set us free from his clutches. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Yeah, I don't want to get through all this. I remember once I was at a, a worship service at a church where they were running short on time, and Singing out of a hymnal, sometimes they would just say, well, just sing the first verse or the second verse only. They sang only the first verse of a mighty fortress is our God. Let me read to the end of the first verse. It's on that paragraph. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not as equal. And then we sat down. <laughs> it was like, oh, great, good. We've got a, uh, an adversary armed with cruel hate and there's no equal on earth. Okay, let's go home. All right, we're good. And if I left you here on the first page where we're sitting there going, wow, there's a devil who's a, the highest of all the angels. He's super smart, super talented, disguises himself as an angel of light. He's the master of all liars. Well, that's not very encouraging. So if now if you flip your, uh, your outline over, I want to give you a life application that's very encouraging. We do not battle the devil for victory, but from a position of victory. There's no doubt how this battle will turn out. We have the last page of the Bible, and we find out about the devil's doom. We find out about God's judgment, and we also find that though the devil is strong, he is no match for God. In fact, listen to James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. Listen to it again. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If I, would, I wish I would have put James 4, 8 in there too. It goes on to say in the next verse on there that draw near to God and God will draw near to you. If you and I want to make sure the devil is defeated, we run to God. Me and God can tackle anything together. I don't do much, in case you didn't catch that part of the equation. I remember one of my sons was uh, playing basketball in junior high, and he was on a team with a a teammate who scored like um, 28 points in a basketball game, in a junior high basketball game. My son scored four. And my son's take on it was, at the end of the game, he goes, the other teammate was Josh. He goes, me and Josh scored 32 together. I mean, that kid's going to go far, okay? That's optimism. Hey, me and God, we can tackle anything. God's scoring a million, I'm scoring nothing. But together, we can score a million every time. If you haven't discovered this yet, that's exactly what's going on here. Let me read this one more time. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. If that's good news, will you say amen? I do not want us to ever underestimate the devil. He's like a roaring lion looking for souls to devour. He's a liar, and he's going to tell us all kinds of things to bind us up and trip us up and get us tangled in all kinds of sin. It's all true. But the good news is we run to God, 
and humble ourselves before God. That's what you do. You humble yourself before God and go, God, I need your help here. I can't do this on my own. And the Lord says, okay, you stand by me. I'll protect you. By the way, from the second to last page in my Bible, Revelation 20, verse 10, then the devil who'd received them was thrown, who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast, the false prophet. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's what happens to the devil in the end. Take it to the bank. He will be destroyed forever and ever. The one who deceives us, the one who causes us so much pain, the one who trips us up and causes us to doubt everything, ultimately he will be destroyed. There will be a day when he will be bound and pitched head first into hell. And I want to tell you, this is great news for you and me today. The devil can be resisted, and the devil will be thrown into hell. And we are not battling in a spiritual battle here where we're unsure about the outcome. We are battling in a spiritual battle knowing the Lord is stronger, and the devil will one day get his. So understand that today, and that's an important life application out of this. I want us to know there's a spiritual battle. I want us to be aware of what the devil's doing, and I want us to respect his power and his wisdom, but we do not, we do not fear him. We come in the name of Christ, and we stand upon the things that are true, and we remember that he is a liar. Now point two, not only do we fight against the devil, we fight against the world. And the world is the ways of our culture, the ways of our society, the things in our society and our world that oppose God. I mean, when you look around the world, I mean, it's like there are so many things that are going on. It's like you go, hey, this can't just be by accident, the God's people being persecuted all around the world, not just in one place. And all throughout history, there's a consistent pattern. And there's a consistent pattern when there's a way to do things God's way or to go against God's way, it always goes the other way. What's happening here? Well, the writers of Scripture made it very clear, A, that the world is hostile to God and his people because Satan is the God of this world. Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who's the exact likeness of God. This is why we pray for our friends, pray that God will open their eyes. And if you have stopped praying for a friend who is far from God, saying they'll never listen, realize that this is a spiritual battle. It's not just that they're dull. It's not just that they're stubborn. There, is a spirit, there are spiritual entities in this world to make sure that they don't understand. Jesus told parables of where you share the good news, and he said Satan's like a bird that comes along. If you're casting seeds of good news, it's like a bird that comes along and snatches it before it can take root. People can come to a meeting and hear about Jesus, and then on the way home, it's like, or as soon as they walk out of the room, it's like there's a million distractions. You go, why would that work every time? Why does that always happen? Because there's a devil. There's a devil. You used to live in sin, Paul again in Ephesians 2, 2, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Before we came to Christ, we were in allegiance to the devil. He had no problem leading us along, just throwing down breadcrumbs. We're following them all. I mean, that's the wonderful news about coming to Christ. When you come to Christ, our eyes are opened, and we see, hey, there's a deception going on here. I'm going the wrong way. And Paul says that's the way it is if you understand the world. So when you're 
on your phone and you're wondering, well, why is there just a constant drumbeat through media, through the internet, through television, through music, through movies, through politics, through everywhere, this constant drumbeat that there is no God and there, we don't need to obey God's laws and there's always a better way. When we're talking about being a liar, well, what kind of lies does he say? Well, simple little lies. Hey, if eating is good, well, eating more is even better. As Americans, we bought into that one. Has anybody noticed? That's, that's pretty good. We bought into other lies, though, too. Hey, a married couple, a man and a woman, they have children by coming together intimately and having a sexual relationship. Well, that's good. Well, what's even better is to have lots of those kind of relationships outside of marriage with lots of people. It's even better. No, it's not. That's a lie. And our culture perpetuates it. Movies can't get enough of it. Songs. Laws. And it's not just here. All around the world. Because there's a God of this world. Who's blinded the minds of people. And is anti-God. Point B, just to remind us again, well, great, so now we just have to deal with the entire cultures of the world. How can we stand against that? Well, remind us of this, I want to remind us of this, that Jesus is always with us, and he's greater than any opposition we face. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know who said that? Jesus. Can you read that with me, please? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The next time you're discouraged, you're going, I mean, there's no hope. I mean, the Christian message will always be drowned out. Mm -mm. That's why God is looking for people who are faithful. Faithfulness. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Can we read that together? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now would you turn to the person next to you and say it to him, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What if we reminded each other of that? You know that Jesus in your heart, he's greater than the one who's in the world. He's stronger than the devil. The devil's no match. And one day the devil will be bound hand and foot and pitched into hell. You know, every now and then I just get tired of prompting for hallelujahs, but that was an hallelujah moment. If you're looking for one, you're going, man, I wanted to say hallelujah, but I that you missed it. That was it. That was your moment. Okay. Do you know that God is greater than the devil? God is stronger and we run to God. God will give us victory. Amen. And here's a life application. Then we must not love the world or the things it offers us. We're going to unpack these strategies. I'm just going to introduce these strategies here. Next week, we're talking about the battlefield of the mind. And for most of us, we don't experience angels camped around a mission hut or anything like this. That's not going to be our experience. But we do have a battle that rages for our mind through our culture and things. Let me tell you, I'll just give you a glimpse of this already. We'll unpack this much more next week. Do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world... You don't have the love of the Father in you, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, the pride of our achievements and possessions. Now, now listen to this. The, these are the three things the devil offers us over and over again. A craving for physical pleasure, that's a preoccupation with satisfying our physical desires. 
whatever the appetites might be. A craving for everything we see that's coveting and accumulating things. And the last one, pride in our achievements and possessions, that's craving after status and title. And you think about how our world craves these things. More pleasure, more stuff, a bigger office, and a better title. And the world says, if you have those three things, you win. If you are rich, famous, beautiful, wealthy, you win. Hands down. Your life could be going to pieces. In and out of drug rehabs, burning through marriages like water. Doesn't matter. You still win because you got more stuff. You're more famous with a better title. And you have been able to satisfy all your physical appetites. You win. Even if people are aging rapidly and destroying themselves, we still say they win. And the Bible would say, no. In fact, Jesus would say, come to me. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one can have anything like eternal life apart from me. You can't have eternal life apart from me. You can't find satisfaction in this life apart from me. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the one who satisfies your soul. As Christians, we know that. These are not from the Father, all those things we're talking about. They're from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So why is it that people are just so hell-bent after these things? And that was the key. Because the devil is the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. Next week, we're going to unpack a lot of strategies in this. But I want you to understand this. That this is what's going on. We battle the devil, and we battle the world. And I need to know that if I'm going to win a spiritual battle. But in both cases, the scripture makes it clear, greater is he that's in you than is in the world. The devil will be judged and destroyed. And if we run to God, the devil's no match. Thirdly, we battle the flesh. This is our, these are our own sinful desires. The Bible tells us that we are born with a fallen sinful nature. Paul put it this way, Romans 7, I've discovered this principle in my life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. My mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Can anybody relate to what he's talking about? Yeah. People say, well, the Bible's just not relevant. And I read them that passage and go, oh, well, that's relevant. It's relevant. When I come to Christ, God doesn't just give me a lobotomy and scoop out my brain. I have no memories, no recollections of any sins I've ever committed. I have no bad habits because I have no memory of anything. I'm just a completely blank slate after I become a Christian. No, that's not what happens. In fact, what happens, I become a new person. God places the Holy Spirit inside of me. And he changes me from the inside out, and he wants me to surrender each and every part of my life. And so he transforms even the ugly parts of my life into something he can use for his glory. I talked with somebody just the other day, and they were right at the 12th step of a 12-step program. The 12th step is now I invest in someone else and help them overcome the addiction. That's going to be their, the, the recipe for great success of staying sober forever. And 
The whole idea there is, is that when you surrender, and what was so great is this person was coming to terms with this. Okay, so now that I'm a Christian, God can take even my addiction and use that for his glory. Yeah, if I'm willing to help somebody else with it. He didn't erase that memory. He didn't get rid of any, any traces of that habit in my life. What happened was he gave me victory over that habit. Now think of this. We have a God who's that wonderful. And so when I come to Christ, I'm free from the, I'm not controlled by the devil anymore. I'm free from the control of sin. I have a choice now. But that doesn't mean I still don't have the capacity for sin. And what the devil would love to do is he'd love to give us that siren song and call us back and say, oh, you need to get back into this again. You need to get back into this again. No, I don't need to do that. Oh, yeah, you you can't do it. It's too hard. Just come back. And here's the life application there. We can overcome the desires of our flesh by surrendering every part of our lives to the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the key. And it's also why we want people in small groups because we can help each other do this. Paul talked about the struggle, Romans 7. Paul's talking about it here again in Galatians 5. Sinful nature wants to do what's evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. You're not free to carry out your good intentions. So when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Okay, that's a pretty good list. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will, inherit, will not inherit the kingdom of God. The reason is, Paul's saying, this is the way you lived before, chasing after all these things. I mean, this is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of what the world has to offer. But, he says, but the the Holy Spirit produces a different kind of life in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I mean, one of the most amazing things that happens is this kind of transformation in our lives where all of a sudden we realize, oh, God's changing my desires. I used to want to have more and more stuff, and now I take great joy in giving it away. It's kind of like when you have kids. Those of you who have had kids and watched them grow up, I mean, when you first have kids, you wonder how are you going to pay for it, and as they grow, you wonder how are you going to pay for it, and as they get older, you wonder how are you going to pay for it, that type of thing. Okay, but what occurs to you all along the process is all of a sudden that whenever you have something, you'd rather have your kids have it than you have it. Can anybody relate to that, what I'm talking about? But your desires changed and your heart changed. Well, Paul says the Holy Spirit does that on steroids to every part of our lives. And all of a sudden we start realizing, oh, wow, this isn't about me. It's about what the Lord wants us to do. If I surrender every part of my life, if I surrender the parts of my life to him where I struggle the most in temptation, then God will give me victory. But the spiritual battle is the devil's always quick to come in and even bring other people around you, even people. I mean, the devil's the one who organizes false teachers too. Even false teachers go, oh, no, no, you don't have to give. You can give in to that. God doesn't care. Just go ahead and sin merrily. God will love you anyway. Just go ahead. And so we don't experience victory and we don't experience cleansing and we don't experience all the transformation God wants because we haven't surrendered it to him. I mean, 
I just had to introduce what's going on here, this series. I'm out of time here for today. But let me just say one more thing, how real this is. People, go, people ask me, John, is spiritual warfare real to you? And I go, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'll never forget when I started um, working in ministry and teaching from God's Word. I was taking a preaching class in seminary. And after the class, uh, I went up and talked to one of the professors one time. I said, you know, it's been interesting since I got into ministry. I experienced something I'd never experienced before. When I'd finish with um, doing a message, I would walk off the platform or walk out of the room, walk to my car. And as I'm leaving, I would have these thoughts in my head. That was terrible. That was, you are worthless. Who do you think you are to get up in front of these people? And I go, I don't understand this. I've never had thoughts like that ever in my life. And he goes, well, John, have you never read that there is a devil? Do you not understand how spiritual warfare works? Do you not understand that he wants to terrorize you, to make you doubt, keep you defeated, and keep you discouraged? You just presented the word of God to a whole group of people. He would love for you to never do that again. And if you buy into that lie, he'll silence you. He goes, it's a lie. And here I was thinking, man, where am I getting all this self-doubt from all of a sudden? And he goes, no, it doesn't mean your sermons sometimes aren't terrible. But, uh, you know, but that's a lie that God didn't call you to do this. Did God call you to do it? Yes. Did you prepare your notes? Yeah. Did you pray for this? Yes. Did you do the best you could? Yes. Then that's the truth. And camp on the truth. And don't believe the lie. And look, you're going to hear all about truth and how to camp on the truth and defend ourselves with it over the next couple of weeks, but you've got to come back for this stuff. This is terribly important. If we're going to win a spiritual battle, we've got to take this seriously. We have a fallen nature, and the devil will exploit that. We, don't have, we still have the capacity for sin, but we're no longer under the automatic control of sin anymore. Now we can choose. And we don't have to give in to that stuff. We do live in a fallen world. But greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. And there is a devil, but his doom is sure. And the victory has already been won through Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father, I pray that today we would run to you. Father, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who has not surrendered the heart of their heart to Christ, today would be the day. And for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, oh, gracious Heavenly Father, if we have run from you, we need to run back. In a moment of silence, if the Lord spoke to you about something today and reminded you there's a spiritual battle going on around you, and if you have been lazy in your prayers or have been unfaithful in your time with the Lord, would you say, oh, God, please forgive me. Give me a hunger for your word. Give me a desire to pray. And, Father, forgive me for not taking this more seriously. Now, Father, we thank you that when we run to you, then you keep us safe. Apart from you, we can do nothing. With you, all things are possible. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.